it says, he is the head of the church. You need to let that sink in. Here's everything else with all, all that's attached to it. But then he says, let me tell you also what he's the head of. He's the head of the church, which is his body. As the head, direction flows from the head to the body. The head controls the body. It's not the opposite. The body does not control the head. In him, all things consist. He is to have the preeminence, always. The day at Catalyst Church when you come and the Lord Jesus Christ is not in the preeminent place. In the songs that Sal leads us in, in the messages that Pastor Manny preaches, even with amongst us in our conversation and devotion, we are on the wrong path. We are on the wrong path. He is to have the preeminence. Not only is to have the preeminence, I'm going to talk for a minute about how vitally important it is that the body be connected to the head for without being connected the body in fact will will die he is the source of life in colossians chapter 2 you can just turn over to chapter 2 and for the sake of time paul as he's writing here in chapter 2 he's going to give warnings about things that can creep in and seek to separate us from the head The first one in the opening 10 verses is human philosophies that are without Christ. Human philosophies that are without Christ. In fact, in verses 8 and 10, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let no one cheat you through empty philosophy. When you get cheated, you know what happens? Very subtly, but there's an exchange that happens. A person takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch as he goes on. He deals first with emptiness of philosophy. There's a caution there. Don't be cheated. Also, as he goes into the second subject, which is legalism. Legalism is any system whereby man believes that he is able to merit God's blessing, either in obtaining or maintaining his salvation. It is not by works. It is by grace through faith. Legalism wants to say, here's works. Here's how it's done. Here's how you achieve it. In Colossians 2, verses 16 through 19, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. If someone begins to to, uh, judge you of food or drink and do those things, what begins to happen? The person who's judging you begins to take the place in your life of the place the Lord Jesus Christ ought to have. Real danger there. Let no one, verse 18, cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head 
from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Beautiful, beautiful thoughts here. Let no one cheat you of reward. And there'd be some cultural and historical things we're going to skip over in the lists there. Oh, by the way, bacon is okay. Um, Life's better with bacon. But anyway, let no one judge you uh, regarding all of those things. Because as soon as someone judges, they want to take the place of the head. Be careful not to let anyone do that. Because it is from the head that the body is nourished. It is knit together by joints and ligaments. And if it's connected to the head, then it will grow. When it gets disconnected, it will cease to grow. That would be true personally. It would be true uh, of us collectively. Actually, Connie and I, in the time we spent with my brother after he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease and, and we quit our jobs and we moved in with him and took care of him until he passed away. In an amazing, amazing way, we literally saw the truth of these verses played out in our lives. Lou Gehrig's disease is a disease in which the, and I'm not a physician, I don't, I'm speaking more than I know when I talk about motor neurons, but essentially the motor neurons die. And as they do, there's a disconnect from the head to the body. Now, when we got there, I learned to do a lot of things. And part of it was physical therapy. I was trained to do the physical therapy to help him. There's almost a sense in which, okay, so the motor neurons die. I, I can come to grips with that. But it kind of seems like, okay, here's an arm. If I exercise the arm, if I, if I exercise it, keep it moving, can't I keep it healthy? So part of our routine was both morning and evening. I had a routine I went with through him to basically exercise his whole body. His, his neck, his head, all the way to his feet, individual fingers. I was taught, learned how to move them, open them, close them, all in an effort to keep him as much as possible physically comfortable because it, what was happening was he was beginning to atrophy. It was interesting. No matter how much I would exercise him, the life was not in the body without it being connected to the head. It was something to watch and to see. And when, when I read this, this comes alive. It's not only true physically, it is true spiritually. If we allow anything to sever us, to separate us from the head, we will spiritually atrophy. Spiritually atrophy. Christ is the head. He is to have the preeminence. He is the source from which life comes. Hence, the absolute essential aspect of us when we think of being connected. It's beautiful how our three points, they themselves are connected. How vital it is that we abide in order to stay connected to the head. For when we are connected to the head, then we're in the place to understand what it is to be healthy as a body. Again, as we look at the body and we shift from the focus from the head to the body itself, we're thinking of the unity within the body, the diversity with the body, and the mutual dependence of the members upon each other. A uh, passage we want to pay attention to is Romans chapter 12 for a minute. Romans 12, 1 and 2, some of them, 
Let's probably have that memorized. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is what? Your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A lot of you guys are saying it right along with me. And then we think that's the end of chapter 12. Actually, as we press on from the two verses that are so familiar, it goes right into our subject. Paul continues in the letter to the Romans, For I say, verse 3, Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each a measure of faith. For we, So the first call is for humility. That puts us in a position... Humility is absolutely key throughout the concept of the body. And we'll see this this played out. But humility is essential too because it is the key that opens the door of grace in our lives. For the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. And here's a call as we approach this subject of being in the body of Christ, of of the essential place to begin with humility. It goes on and says, for, for, for as we have many members in one body, speaking of these physical bodies, but all members do not have the same function. We look at our body, I have hands and I have feet, eyes and ears, and I recognize that I have one body, yet many members, and so, and they have different, different functions. And then he goes and compares it to, to the church. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Last week, Pastor Manny referred to spiritual gifts. There's a whole another series in and all of itself, but it is woven into the concept here that the moment you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were saved from your sin. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, I think, if we have time in a minute, how you were placed into the body of Christ the moment you believed. But at the same time, you were also given gifts, a gift or gifts, to be used, not for yourself, but in the body of Christ for the building up of the body of Christ, that it might grow either in maturity or numerically. We all have different function, but humility is called for many members, so also is Christ. Individually, we're connected to each other. Having then gifts, this idea of different gifts, differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. Again, a spiritual gift is a gift that's divinely given to you, distributed by the Holy Spirit, to be used in the body of Christ for its building up, for its edification. Having gifts differing according to the gift that give, grace that given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use them in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, mercy with cheerfulness. So we are... In Christ, many members, but in one body. There is diversity and yet unity in the body. One body, and we're members individually of each other. Even if you don't like me, if we're both in Christ, you and I are connected. And you got no choice about it. You got nothing to say about it. Might as well accept it. Whether you feel like it or not, we are connected. We are connected in the body of Christ. We are connected in order to function together. Have you ever been a part of a winning team? Maybe a few of us. 
I played football one, oh, Angelo, definitely. I played, hey, we did watch basketball. It was pre impressive. I played football one year in high school, and it was horrible. We did not win a single game. We couldn't seem to get our act together. We played Kearney High in 1970, and we lost 70 to nothing. And there were times when I wasn't sure what was the clock and what was the scoreboard. It was just, it was, I thought, I thought that game would never end, and then I thought the season would never end. But man, when a team works and all the parts function, it is poetry. There's beauty to it. There is satisfaction in participating and joy in it uh, that comes from it, being a part of it. If you are in the body of Christ, you are on a winning team, a winning team. We're going to develop this as we, we go along, but the interdependency, we all need to function to carry out our part using those spiritual gifts, and, and if we need to talk more about that, that needs to be another, another session. The Apostle Paul takes the thoughts that are planted in, in Romans, and then he expands it as he, he writes to the Corinthians. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, when he gets to chapter 7, there's a shift in the letter because he begins to say, now concerning the things you wrote to me. So obviously the Corinthians had communicated with Paul and said, hey, here's some things on our mind. And he addresses marriage. Then he addresses something very practical. Then what about eating things that have been sacrificed to idols? And he goes through a number of things of church life. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And you have the most extensive passage on the subject. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, all deals with spiritual gifts. Interesting. Connie and I, on our wedding invitation uh, back in 1973, put chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Anybody else do that? I mean, we love the love chapter. We pull it out and use it for our, according to our will. But it is sandwiched in the middle of a whole passage on spiritual gifts. Very important. Anyway, that's a sidelight, a no charge for that. Um, in, in the first 10 verses of chapter 12, which we won't go over, but we have a repeat. We certainly see that Jesus is the sovereign Lord. We see diversity of gifts. We're beginning to give lists of gifts. Lists, the gifts are listed. It's beyond our, our scope this morning. But it says that they are given as a manifestation of the Spirit, again, for the profit of all, never to be used for our own personal selfish means. It is always used for the benefit of the body. Then he picks up in chapter 11, verse 11 of chapter 12, and he says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And that's the idea of spiritual gifts. Then he moves in to talking about the use of those within the body. And so we want to think about the body again. And we're watching for unity and diversity and mutual dependence. And he says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, and here's your connection, so also is Christ. We see it in our physical human bodies, but also in the body of Christ. And then he says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And he continues on and says, for in fact the body is not one member but many. And then we get a fun place because the parts of the body start talking to each other. If the foot should say, 
Because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So you get the, the members of our body talking to each other. He says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, now we live in Southern California. I was going to say, you know, back in that day, everybody was wearing sandals. Your feet would be dirty. And you could see how your foot might be jealous of the hand that gets washed more. But we live in Southern California, so we know what it is to wear sandals. But anyway, the foot says, to, says I'm not a hand. And because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. And he asks the question, is it therefore not a part of the body because it says it's not a part of the body? What's the answer? No, it's part of the body. By the way, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, or verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Where do those thoughts come from? Because I'm not an a hand or I'm not an ear I'm not of the body where do you think those thoughts come from do those come from God do those come from the Holy Spirit do those come from the enemy that's where they come from it needs to be recognized the enemy wants to do everything he can to divide the body and gets in there and works as he can so there's really no place for jealousy no place for that we'll see that spelled out but be careful of what you, how you feel, what you're thinking. And he goes on, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You are who you are in the body of Christ. Why? Because that's what God wants you to be. He made you to be that. If you really let that sink in through your mind and deep into your heart, is there a place for envy or jealousy? Is there a place to say, well, I can't preach as good as Pastor Manny, therefore I can't do anything. Or I can't serve as diligently as Connie, therefore I can't do anything. Where does that message come from? It comes from the enemy. Seeking to divide. But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You're on the winning team, and he's pleased with you. He's pleased with who you are and what you have. He goes on and writes in verse 19, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. On one hand, one person says, I can't preach like Pastor Manny, so I'm no good. Manny says, you can't preach like me, you're no good. There's no place for either. There's neither no place for, for envy or jealousy. There's also no place to be prideful or, or judgmental in related to all of our di- the ways God's made us in the, in the wonder of the diversity of the body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have need no you, and the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. When you think of a winning team, we think generally of sports, but man, there's lots of teams. Uh, last Monday was Veterans Day, and Connie and I went out to, to uh, 
the Memorial Park where Connie's mom and dad are buried, and, and it was Memorial. We got there early in the morning, and it was just a quiet time. And by the way, shout out to all of our veterans. Shout out to all the guys serving currently that served in the past. Appreciate you guys. But when you think about a body functioning or a team functioning well, I don't know the statistic, but it would be interesting to know for every one soldier on the very front, how many people does it take to get him there and keep him there? My guess, that's an astronomical number. I remember my dad telling stories. My dad fought with the 42nd Infantry Division in Europe in World War II, saw quite a bit of combat, and he talked about how they worked together. Now, it was pretty amazing. In fact, he said that the first day he went up on the front line, he said they loaded us all up. He said we were just covered with equipment. He said they loaded us up, put us in trucks, they moved us to the front, and when I, we got off, we gave everything away. And that's how, that's how they supplied the guys that were fighting on the front. When my dad came in as a replacement, they loaded him up, and then he gave it all away. That's how a team functions. In fact, the word team comes from the old English word meaning to be harnessed together so that you'd have a team of horses or a team of oxen, and they need to be matched so that they pull together in order to accomplish. And so this pulling together is, is so important. There'd be other examples, but, but it is a beautiful thing when it works well. But never forget that we have an enemy that's seeking to disrupt its uh, if he can cause envy, if he can cause pride, if he can divide, uh, he's successful in his efforts. And if he can ever get in, the, in there to where he, where he can take the preeminence of Jesus Christ and replace it with something else, we as a body will atrophy. We will atrophy, become useless. He goes on and he says, the weaker are necessary. Then it's kind of an interesting verse. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. What is Paul talking about? He's using something we all do every day. And I won't refer to the ladies, but this is done every day. You get in front of the mirror and you make what you don't like likable. <laughs> That's really what he's saying. He's, you know, there's parts of the body that we, we, we cover, we clothe, we make it all so that it looks more presentable. But those parts we make presentable are absolutely necessary for the body to function. Interesting little illustration, but that's there. He says, but our presentable parts have no need, but God has composed the body, having given greater to honor to that part which lacks it. This to me reflects the heart of the Lord Jesus when the widow put her might in. God values and honors the simplest gift in our midst. When I worked for Convair before I entered ministry, uh, there were 11,000 people who worked there. It was, it was uh, an amazing experience. I enjoyed it most of the time. It was always amazing that you could take 11,000 people. No one person knows everything, but you put them in the right order, the sheet metal fabrication, shop, metal machine shops, uh, processing, and out the end of the assembly line came Atlas rockets, cruise missile, fuselage for the DC-10, the midsection for the, the space shuttle where the doors open up, was built here in San Diego. 
the simplest task in the plant was the burr bench. There were individuals who worked eight hours a day taking a part that had been processed and scraping burrs off of the edges. But you know, know something? It was a vital role. It was a vital role. It was a vital role as they continued on the process that those burrs were not on those parts. That had to be the simplest. I would go into that department uh, for reasons, and I thought, how do these people do this? In the body of Christ, God honors the simplest of gifts. We ought to do the same for one another. We ought to do the same for one another. He goes on and says, we, he gives it that honor. We ought to do it. And he says that, and, he, he, and again, we need to follow his thoughts. And when we do, then there'll be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one is honored, all are rejoiced with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. By the way, when we think of unity and diversity, the scripture really doesn't tell us to create unity. We don't have to create the unity. It is built into us as a winning team by virtue of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Our job is not to make unity, to create unity. Our job is to protect it and to keep the unity in the bond of peace. We ought never ever underestimate or underappreciate the body of Christ, the church. He is, Christ is the head. He is to have the preeminence. He is the source of life for the body. We are the body filled with diversity and yet one, mutually depend upon one another in order to accomplish the things God wants to accomplish through us. The absolute essential aspect of our need to abide in him and connect with one another. Two concluding questions. Are you a part of the body of Christ? Are you a part of the body of Christ? Well, we won't spend the time because my time's running out, but if we went back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, there you have the, the premier verse that talks about the subject. The moment you were saved, you were placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and gifted to serve. Are you a part of the body is the first question. And you think back and say, yeah, I am. Or if you're not sure, maybe today's the day to deal with that. Is God touching your heart this morning? Would you this morning put your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he died for your sin, was buried and rose again from the dead? And the moment we believe, the moment we trust, we are born again of the Spirit of God, we become God's child, we're placed into the body of Christ. If today you'd put your faith in Christ, you might say, well, what should I do next? You need to let us know. Let Pastor Manny know. Let me know. One of the elders, somebody let us know. And then I go over to the next steps table and I say, I need a sign-up sheet for baptism because you need to be baptized. When we look at the pattern of the New Testament, first comes faith, then comes baptism. Baptism is God's ordained 
method to publicly profess your faith in Christ and to identify with him. would encourage you to do that. I don't think there is one, but if you go ask for one, we'll make you one. Be baptized. Then learn and grow. Second question as we close. If you are a part of the body of Christ, are you doing your part? That's a sobering question, isn't it? Are you doing your part? It could be that if you want to know more about spiritual gifts, come and ask Manny or come and ask. We'll be happy to sit with you and talk about that subject, uniquely gifted to be used in the body of Christ. How to discover that it begins with a study of the scripture on what is, the, what is all this stuff about? And you know what the scripture says. Then we really discover where we ought to be through life experience. I remember Dr. Rodmacher saying, if you think you have the gift of teaching and you begin to teach and your class goes from 50 to 20 to 10 to 1, you may not have that gift. <laughs> or you may need more practice. There's more than one answer to it. But, but very clearly, we need to know what the scripture says. Then as you exer- begin to exercise it and you begin to explore it, the, the joy of finding the sweet spot of ministry, whether it is scraping burrs off of machined parts, or whether it's teaching and preaching from the front, whether it's hospitality. There are a whole other series, and I need to quit. But are you doing your part this morning? We'd love to help you think that through. We are indeed called to connect. We really have no choice. It's who we are. So anyway, we need to be the church. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would take the truth of your word and place it into our hearts and into our minds that our actual view of each other would change. That our love for one another, understood and expressed, would grow and deepen and mature. Lord, that our service, Lord, would be done with joy and fullness, that we all together might as a team be harnessed together to serve you and to make a difference in this world. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this tremendous privilege. In Christ's name, amen.